This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Ranchers Primary School, a nurturing community school and nursery committed to holistic education in the heart of Arabian Ranchers too. Helen Farmer with you on today's Eye on Education. We were talking teens with teenage coach Lucy Jones tackling some of the issues that are coming up from mental health issues to social media addiction, of course, taking your questions too. And tackling inclusion in sports, we had James Bennett, the head of PE at Royal Grammar School. Guildford Dubai and last but not least inclusion when it comes to birthday parties certainly not a conversation having decades ago when I was at school but something that is so so crucial now as we raise more awareness around neurodiversity in schools it was Chad Whitcomb the head of inclusion at Horizon English School on hand to help this is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer with Ranchers Primary School a nurturing community school and nursery committed to holistic education in the heart of Arabian Ranchers too don't come at me on the text line for this, but I'm starting to feel like the word inclusive or inclusivity has been bandied around and lost a bit of meaning. So what we're looking at in this next hour is the real life applications of what inclusivity can and should look like in schools, but also out of schools after half past. We're going to be talking about birthday parties, in a very real, realistic way, how to have a truly inclusive birthday party for all of the kids in the class, if, you, if, you, if you're bold enough to, to handle those numbers. Right now, though, we're talking about sport. James Bennett is the head of PE at Royal Grammar School Guildford in Dubai, and we're talking about inclusion in sports within schools. James, or Mr. Bennett, sorry, how are you? Hello. Yay! It's all the sweeter for sorry, the anticipation and the drama. Do you know what? I don't I know midway, what happens either. I was panicking that you were going to ask me about birthday parties. Um, <laughs> so I'm not, sure, I'm not sure what happened there, but uh, I'm, I'm here. Great great to be on and great to chat again. Don't worry. We're staying in your sporty wheelhouse, sir. It's lovely to have you with us. Um, can I ask you a personal question, first of all? Was this a conversation when that you had or you heard when you were growing up? Inclusivity in sport. Was that, was that being chatted about, you know, 20, 10, 10, 10 20 years ago? Yeah, probably 20 years ago, um, and we've spoke about this before, on the cold rugby pitches of Gloucestershire, no, it was very much everyone does the same thing, um, namely try and tackle each other, doesn't matter if there's size difference or whatever, and the best ones get picked for the team, and the rest continue to turn up in the cold and persevere, I think was the key word back then. Yeah, Build a bit of resilience, toughen you up. Conversation changed exactly. an awful lot. And I know I do think there is a, a bit of confusion around that word of inclusivity because it can take many forms, whether that is relating to ability, relating to being neurodiverse. But I wanted to ask you about why you think inclusion in sports, especially in schools, is so crucial for all students, Mr. Bennett, regardless of their background, their abilities. Yeah, I think my viewpoint since being a parent actually changed on this as well. Um, my daughter's currently in year two and she's just sort of finished what I would say is a key phase of inclusivity, which is the foundation stage, which is basically just implementation of sports, making it fun for everyone, like getting rid of the fear of going to a PE lesson and trying to incorporate that with um, effectively structured sporting play, which is like gross motor skills, building on hand-eye coordination. She's come through that and she's actually now in key stage one starting to say, oh, I'm interested in netball or I like swimming or, um, I mean, all of these are things that I just... I just basically I'm open and say, go and have a go at it. And within the teaching or certainly teaching at RGS, we're just trying to effectively 
create exposure for all of the children to specific sports. And then if they start developing a talent and also an enjoyment for them, it's then up to us and parents as well to work with us to try and stretch them um, dependent on their ability. So I think the key is just getting everyone to have a go. So it's interesting, you're at the tennis. Um, obviously, we haven't got loads of tennis courts to for everyone to have a go on a court in Dubai, but there's nothing stopping 20 children in a sports hall with either doing hand tennis or rackets with trainer balls, focusing on footwork, agility and hand-eye coordination. And from there, they can make the choice of whether they want to go on with it. Mm-hmm. I think you touched on something really important there, which is having fun and fostering this idea of sport exercise not being punishment which felt like the narrative for an awful lot of people in schools especially when you were labeled as non-sporty and that's what we're going to talk about next you know many schools catering only for the elite um, athletes in their schools so we're going to talk next about some of the strategies that actually ensure that every pupil has the opportunity to participate can thrive in a sports program Uh, james bennett with us today the head of pe um, at royal grammar school guildford this is eye on education on afternoons with helen farmer with ranchers primary school a nurturing community school and nursery committed to holistic education in the heart of arabian ranches too james bennett is the head of pe at the royal grammar school guildford We're talking about inclusion in sport and i wanted to ask you i feel like lots of schools in dubai um really cater and encourage the elite sports stars in their school and i wanted to ask you about what strategies you found to be useful in making sure that every single pupil regardless of their ability their background has an opportunity to participate and yeah thrive be encouraged in in school sports what's been effective um okay and um, i remember you mentioned um you've got children well, can i ask just as an example so what what year group would one of your uh, kids be in my just to give you an girls, example one's year four and one's year two okay so year four so that's pretty key um you know because they're really at this point starting to they've been exposed to lots of different sports they've maybe started to develop an enjoyment for for certain ones maybe need a bit more confidence in in others so in terms of the curriculum here at rgs they'd be doing about three hours of curriculum sport in year four so they would do um some she would do pe once a week and that would be basically an exploration of different sports that's completely non-streamed um co-educational so it might be i think they're doing striking and fielding this term uh, previous half term they did some gymnastics i know before then some invasion games so just building general sports knowledge and then they would get another hour later on in the week of games and that's more your traditional independent school team sports that coincide with the represented teams that they would play and then we would start to it's it's inclusive for all. So every single girl would get to try netball last term and football this term. And from that, uh, we would then look to stretch um, some more gifted and able children, but at the same time want to include every single girl, allowing them to play competitive football with each other in groups um, based on ability each week. So no one misses out. It's not like the old fashioned days where you turn up to a trial, um, you're either in the team or out. It's every week you can look to try and stake a claim to, to play against other schools. And then outside of that, they would do some swimming for an hour a week as well. And again, that's we don't want to push them too hard. So it's again streamed, but completely inclusive. Here's the problem we have with my year four is she's on the school swim squad and she doesn't want to get up at 5.30 in the morning three times a week to be in the pool <laughs> at 6.15. So I think those early, uh, those tween sleep-ins are going to start kicking in soon. Um, what about, um, 
shifting this idea of people being you're sporty, you're not sporty. You're talking there about yeah. this idea of an you know it being a rolling, ongoing <clears throat> encouragement to get involved. You know, we've had a message here asking about you know what's the best age to get kids involved in sport. Would you mind kind of in, in, I guess explaining some of the challenges that you have encountered when it comes to being truly inclusive and how you've addressed them, Mr. Bennett? Yeah, I mean, so it's funny, the age question, because I was asked this recently in, in uh, our parents' meetings, and, and I think a lot of, and like I now see it as a parent, so key stage one, your year one and two, it's like, what, when can they play matches? I, I want them to play matches. And, and for me at that age, really, again, it's about exposure and it's about engagement through variety. We don't really see, uh, certainly at that age, there, there's no such thing. I mean, there's children that enjoy sport more than others, but you never know how a child's going to progress at that age. And us as teachers, it's really our responsibility to just expose them to loads of different activities, get get that no, get rid of the fear factor of not being good at something, and then loads of variety through through the variety, they're going to engage in something, they're going to find something they enjoy, and then pushing on like your daughter to year four, it might be right. I really like swimming. I'm not so sure about getting up every morning for training. I also like netball. I might go and do that after school and mix it up a bit so that there's some choice, but it's real gradual rather than damaging confidence early on, I think, is key. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree because these limiting beliefs get put in place and it can be a passing comment from a fellow student, it can be something from a teacher, it can be something from a parent. But I think um, the, the key is keep on keep on trying keep on finding keep on you know exploring and having fun about it because mm-hmm. I mean I think I'm probably proof I was a bit sporty at school but I've only in my kind of 30s 40s found that exercise is not punishment and it's something that I want to do and, and maybe I'm more sporty than I realize and it's never really too late but you've got a big responsibility on your shoulders there Mr Bennett to yeah. keep those kids smiling no, and, and the keep them involved from, keep them encouraged yeah sorry to yeah, and the thing is from that, Helen, sorry to sorry to interrupt, it's just, obviously, inclusivity is amazing, but there is also a responsibility for us teachers to stretch the more mm-hmm. gifted and able, and, and Absolutely. I don't think we'd be doing our role if, if we didn't do that as well. So whilst making sure everyone has a go and it's fully inclusive, we also want to push children as far as they want to go and can go with their talents. Mm-hmm. And, and that's whether it's in the pool or, uh, or you know, outside things, whether, you know, whether it's getting different ECAs, golf, volleyball, diving involved, uh, whether it's moving from playing tag rugby. I've actually enjoyed that. I now want to go and, and, and try contact rugby. So it is our, I guess, responsibility to push children as well, but in the right way. Thank you so, so much. Really, really appreciate you speaking as a as a parent and a teacher there, Mr. Bennett. Um, and we'll no doubt talk very soon. James Bennett is the head of PE at Royal Grammar School, Guildford, Dubai. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Ranches Primary School, a nurturing community school and nursery committed to holistic education in the heart of Arabian Ranches too. In conversation now with the Head of Inclusion at Horizon English School, Chad Wickham with us. Um, And we're talking about inclusion in birthday parties, which I have to say, until I had kids, didn't really factor. And interestingly, speaking to friends I have who've got neurodiverse children, this is a much bigger issue than so many people realise. This idea of kids not being invited, about parents not really sure how to navigate it. So we're giving you some tools, some strategies, some knowledge today. How are you, Mr Wickham? Chad, are you there? I am there. Can you hear me? Oh, thank goodness. Yeah, it's not good for my anxiety. So thank you for sticking with us. I massively appreciate it. Um, Why do you think it is important to... I know this seems like a really obvious question, given what you do, but I think it's important to establish this. Why is it important to ensure that birthday parties, that social events and gatherings 
are inclusive, especially for neurodiverse children? What are you hearing from the community and from the parents? Yeah, so I think with all events, when they've been planned inclusively, it's not just fun and positive for neurodivergent children, but it's a fun experience for all involved. Um, so coming from a school perspective, we uh, remove barriers that children with learning differences have by making small adjustments that can have a big, big impact on them, but don't negatively impact anyone else. And mm -hmm. we feel that the same can be done at parties and play dates outside of school as well. I think um, from an emotional point of view, being invited to a party or play date can be a really significant moment for a neurodivergent child and their family. Um, they may not have been invited to many before, and that's not necessarily because they've been purposefully excluded. Uh, but sometimes parents do feel ill-equipped to host parties like that. Um, so we hosted a parent workshop at Horizon to provide a few tips. And, you know, if it's it positively impacted one child, then it was definitely worth doing. Um, I think also it's a meaningful experience for the neurotypical children as well. Mm -hmm. I think having seen firsthand uh, here at Horizon English School that when neurotypical children learn and play alongside neurodivergent children at school, it really does foster empathy and compassion. And these children grow up to be kind and considerate people. Um, so it happens in school every day. And we kind of felt that it would be great to expand that to events outside of school as well. I couldn't agree more. I think um, it's really important to perhaps acknowledge why some parents feel unable to do that, unable to extend an invitation or uncomfortable. And I, I'm guessing it's sometimes it's just fear of the unknown or fear of getting it wrong. Is that something you've heard as well? Just like, I just don't know how to do this and I don't want to offend anyone. I don't want to you know, make things worse. Yeah, 100%. I think kind of lack of exposure as well. And if, if you haven't met or worked with children, um, who do have an additional need, it can be quite daunting for parents to to make that leap. And I feel like probably it does come from a good place as well in terms of not wanting to do the wrong thing and not wanting to um, upset any children too. Uh, but hopefully um, the workshop that we did here at Horizon did help a few parents to feel more confident in that area. We're going to be breaking down some of those strategies, some of that advice that was shared in that Celebrating Differences um, initiative that's ongoing at Horizon English School. Chad Wickham with us today, the Head of Inclusion. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Ranches Primary School, a nurturing community school and nursery committed to holistic education in the heart of Arabian Ranches too. Speaking to us from Horizon English School now is the Head of Inclusion, Chad Wickham. And I wanted to ask you, Chad, about a workshop you did recently, which was equipping the parents at the school with some very practical, actionable advice on how to have an inclusive birthday party. We were talking there about just how important it is for the neurodiverse kids, but also the neurotypical as well. But what were some of the big takeaways? Can we pick your brains? What should we be doing? I think the key takeaway during the week um, for children, teachers and parents is that all children learn and play in different ways and that's a really good thing and it should be something that's celebrated. Um, in terms of at parties, I think it's really important that we're flexible and we allow neurodivergent children to warm up uh, when they arrive at the party. Um, as I said, neurodivergent children, they may learn and play in a different way and um, at parties we should let them join in and play however and whenever they want to. Mm -hmm. I think also having a conversation with the parents must be really important as well to have an understanding of what, you know, what's that kid going to be comfortable with? You know, what do they need in that specific situation? Even, you know, if a parent needs to be there to, you know, facilitate 
you know, conversation or, or, or interactions as well. Um, I mean, there's all sorts of different um, variations, whether it is food sensitivities or sensitive, you know, sensory overload with, with noises and things as well. Um, and even access, you know, there's so many things that need to be considered. But, you know, to come back to your point earlier, it's so, so important to foster this idea of inclusivity in school, which you guys are doing an amazing job of. But, you know, for that conversation and those interactions to, to continue past the school gate. Um, I wondered if there are any resources um, networks that you recommend to parents who want to learn more about hosting inclusive parties with you know who've got different strengths different challenges so people can read up and you know really do their best moving forward chad yeah i think um so just going back to the previous point it's really a great idea to send out an invitation ahead of time to the party that can really inform their family and children about their location so that they can visit it in advance Mm -hmm. and sometimes children will feel a lot more comfortable and confident if they've already been somewhere as well. And just touching on what you said, having an RSVP section within the invite would allow um, parents to say if their children have any sensitivities such as food aversions or noisy environments, as you said. Um, Providing a schedule as well can really help children feel at ease knowing that what will happen uh, and when it will happen. And it will also allow them to tell you that they maybe don't want to take part in something Mm -hmm. in advance rather than having it sprung upon them. Um, And then as well, if you're hosting a party at home, it's a really great idea to have a quiet space set up for children to use if they do become overstimulated. So soft furnishings like beanbags or big pillows, sensory toys like slime and Play-Doh, they can really help children to self-regulate before they come back to the party. And then um, a big consideration is to consider location. Um, So for the workshop we did, my colleague Ashley McCabe, she did some great research into recommended locations. So in the cooler months, we definitely advise sticking to outdoor locations if possible, like the park and the beach, to avoid too much noise. Um, When it gets warmer, there's loads of great locations and ideas to do. So structured parties like pizza making or painting workshops can be great for all children. Um, And as I said, it can be fun for the neurodivergent children and everyone else at the party as well. Um, so hopefully it's clear that those considerations, while they've been made for neurodivergent children, it doesn't make the party um, any less fun for anyone else, which is obviously the most important thing as well. Um, and then in terms of resources, the Dubai Autism Centre, they've designed an autism friendly program to help locations become more accessible. And there are a few locations in Dubai that do have autism friendly certification. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of party locations, the one that stands out is the Children's City which is in Creekside Park, um, Creekside Park, which does have inside and outdoor areas as well. Uh, and as you've mentioned there, I think, going, and going back to an earlier point as well, I think the best resource is the parents of the neurodivergent children themselves. Absolutely. And I'm sure that, you know, they would be so happy to know that someone is going out of their way to try to include their child at a party or a play date. And, it, you know, it could make a really life-changing difference to them as well. So I think they're the best resource to uh, touch on but also schools inclusion departments will know about the children and they can provide some some good tips as well well chad thank you so much for your time we've had messages going thank you such an important topic really really appreciate that chad wickham there the head of inclusion at horizon english school this is eye on education on afternoons with helen farmer with ranchers primary school a nurturing community school and nursery committed to holistic education in the heart of arabian ranchers too Well, my text lines are on fire right now on 4001. Lots of frustrated parents, worried parents, but also 
lots of you getting in touch to talk about just how fabulous your teenagers are. If you do need a helping hand, you're in the right place. Joining us to guide us through a tumultuous time for many is Lucy Jones. She is a coach that specialises in teenagers. And I wanted to ask you a little bit about what you do and why you do it, Lucy. Can you break it down for us? Okay. Hi, Helen. Thank you for having us today. Pleasure. Uh, We've been here before, but it's always nice to be back because teenage mental health is never-ending topic, right? Uh, So uh, let me tell you what we do. Um, Us, as a platform, we call Teenage Coach, and we encourage parents and teenagers to follow us because you can get lots of resources from our online platform, okay? You don't necessarily need to use our services. There's so much content on our platform that can really help you on daily basis and struggles. Um, well, yeah, we started Teenage Coach in COVID times because we felt like that the need was there at that time, you know, and everybody was staying home. And I was already doing some online certification coaching with Jack Gunfield, um, which is called Success Principles. And I basically turned it around into teenagers and families and decided to support this type of environment you know parents and teenagers because there is so much coaching it seems like it's a culture nowadays Mm -hmm. right everybody's having a coach or even two three different coaches for different uh, topics in their lives and And they could take different forms sometimes it's you know therapy mentorship professional coaching and this parental um, arena I guess can be a huge source of stress for parents and and, you know when when we're trying to navigate it we're new to it um there's a lot of information misinformation out there yeah um and i guess you're lending your expertise to smooth what can feel like a very kind of yes tough journey a lot yes. a lot of the time i wanted to ask you about you know how how has the problem set that you're dealing with maybe changed over the last few years well i wouldn't say it has changed much it's still a lot of struggle with parents and teenagers because you know they just evolve and so I find uh, the parents and teenagers who were reaching out to me four years ago has grown out of the trouble situation and they seem to be on the good path now but you've got new families coming with new teenagers and they have no idea especially the parents Mm. what hit them but also the teenagers they just don't understand their feelings they're like whoa what's happening to me to my body to my mind why am I constantly worried nervous so Yeah, it's been a great ride over four years, you know, lots of families reaching out to us. Uh, Not always we will go forward with the coaching, but quite often we will just speak for hours and hours. And sometimes we're just able to uh, navigate, you know, just through two, three sessions without being, seeing the teenager and Mm -hmm. tell the parents, advise the parents how to work with the teens and the situations that are happening at home. We're going to unpack some of the common issues that family are coming with and ultimately helping people listening today. But if you've got a specific question for Lucy, you can get in touch on 4001. Do you think it's harder to be a teenager now than ever before? Or is this something that every generation thinks? I think every generation changes, right? But in my opinion, yes, I feel it's much harder. You know, before in our age, (laughs) we are similar ages. Mm -hmm. Uh, We are parents. You are parent of a twins. I'm a parent of a teenager. You know, back in the day, we would jump on the bikes, go outside, the school would finish at two o'clock. And, you know, if there was any disagreements, we would just sort it out there and there with some of the pitch yeah. <laughs> uh, fights, etc. And uh, that was it. But nowadays, there's so much instru- um, destruction from social media. 
it is real danger, the social media. You know, uh, what really caught my eye a few months ago was the Kate Winslet this, this, did this... Um, Incredible drama. And it, was her, and it was her real life daughter yeah, in it. Right. And it was based on real life story. Well, mm. yeah. I'm Ruth. So if you can find it online, I'm not sure it's available in UAE. I think it's on BBC iPlayer. Yeah, but BBC there are there are ways and means. Or even if yeah. you manage to find some of it on... Yeah. Um, on YouTube or even read some of Kate Winslet's interviews around yeah, it. A yeah. really it's brilliant a really good study. resource for pa- parents who are struggling with social media addictions. I, or I am Ruth yeah. is what it's called. I am Ruth, yeah. You said addiction there. Addiction, yes. I have been dealing with um, families of boys who, you know, find themselves in the situations where these teenagers are literally addicted to uh, not so much social media but online gaming and mm. stuff like that they won't get up they won't study uh, they will sleep till three o'clock it's very difficult every time uh, their mum father ask them something to do help around the house spend time it just becomes huge drama so we actually recently worked with one family and we identified that the boy had a proper addiction and when we addressed it and realized it then even this boy have opened up and he's now moved forward from that and, you know, realised that... It was okay, a problem. OK, they are right and mm. i got to do something about this. Well, questions coming in for you, Lucy, including dealing with moodiness, about exactly that being being stonewalled, how to interact with your <laughs> teens. And we're going to talk about um, next, though, exactly how we can understand teenage mental health, what's going on in the brain and the body, and the compassion of parents that we need to show this age group. Lucy Jones with us through until four o'clock. This is Eye on Education on Afternoons with Helen Farmer. With Rancher's Primary School, a nurturing community school and nursery committed to holistic education in the heart of Arabian Ranches too. Teenage Coats, Lucy Jones with us today as we unpack being a teenager in 2024, some of the challenges she's facing and um, the clients that are coming to her and offering up some advice to those of you getting in touch on 4001. You asked me not to ask you what you were like as a teenager, Lucy, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> You've also got a teenage son who we might be speaking to later on as well. But, you know, reflecting back on those years, what were some of the, the challenges that you faced? Um... I think back in the day I used to find it very difficult to communicate with my parents. Mm. Uh, I come from Prague, Czech Republic, which was a communist country and the open communication wasn't really the thing back then. So I think for us as a girls, being teenagers, was quite difficult. Mm -hmm. So we had to figure out lots of things ourselves and, you know, yeah, it was hard. I was a very deceptive teenager. <laughs> My parents probably don't know even half the truth of it now, but overprotective parents led me to, oh, I mean, it's basically a miracle. I, you know, didn't die yeah. in a field somewhere, to be well, completely honest. It was, we were very, very naughty. Oh, my gosh. And when I found out I was having daughters, my mum my was like, well, Helen, if anyone deserves to have horrible teenagers, it's you. And I was like, <laughs> all right, Babs, all right, point taken. Um, but I feel like um, I did have a good relationship with them. Yeah, I yeah. was deceptive, but I yeah. felt like that communication was pretty open in terms of I knew I could always go to them if there was a big problem. You know, if I needed to call my dad at three o'clock in the morning to come and pick us up from a field, yeah. you know, he would he would yeah. have been there. Um, and that's something I'm very mindful of now as I, as I raise my own daughters, that I want them to feel like they wouldn't hide the big problems from me yes. that I'm their safe space yes I wondered um, if you could maybe speak to that a little bit about 
the shifts that happen in the brain when you know when che- teenagers turn in you know sorry children turn into teenagers would you mind kind of speaking to that a little yes, bit Lucy? of course um i've got this favorite saying um from uh, this uh, this amazing book about teenagers it's called teenage brain from dr francis jensen and she says uh the teenage brain is basically like a bumped up ferrari it's ready to go, but it hasn't been road tested yet. Okay, <laughs> that's a really that, good analogy. That just like for me, that just really like nails it. What it's like, uh, yeah. The teenagers. I don't remember if we were like that, but it just feels like nowadays these teenagers they suddenly go from these well-behaved kids, tweens, and then suddenly within six months it's like wow, like what a happened? roller coaster. Where mm. are these hormones coming from? And what's happening to them and the way they push their boundaries. I think, like you just mentioned, I think back in our day, we used to hide lots of things and we could get away with it because there was no telephones, there was no social media. Mm-hmm. But now, you know, the teenager goes out or disappears and mom is super worried. So we constantly on the phone. Where are you? Why is he not answering my phone? So Track, tracking the phone and all so the So I think we are, just by this, we're bringing more pressure onto us as families and mm-hmm. parents and teenagers, you know. Speaking of pressures, what about academic pressures, especially in Dubai where you have a model where people are paying for education and, you know, a lot of very academically and, um, I guess, career um, focused people. Yes. Um, what about academic pressures in Dubai teenagers? What are you seeing? Yes. Uh, I think the teenagers also, um, this is what we would like to stress because what I'm seeing in the young teenagers who come to me with their parents, uh, they don't tell their parents that they're stressed out because of academic pressure. And I think parents need to realize that parents just think, okay, I paid these expensive fees and it's your duty to study and get ready. But uh, because they're, they're already putting a pressure on the teenagers by having this type of conversation with them. They're stressing them out. Therefore, they're already closing the door because the teenager doesn't feel like, well, obviously, I can't talk to them about it because they will get upset. We're going to be talking strategies next and going to the text line. We've had messages going, any advice for dealing with moodiness or when they totally ignore you? We've had messages about getting them moving in the morning. Uh, we've also had some lovely shout outs as well. So if you want to celebrate your teen, 4001. Jeff saying, sounds awful, but I found the under 10 years a bit tedious as a dad. Now my daughters are old enough to have insights into the world, proper conversations, our relationship has improved no end and they are great company. And Sandy saying, loving the teen years here. Pleasantly surprised so far, pretty harmonious household. And I honestly prefer hanging out with my teens over most adults their chat is more random their minds are more open uh lisa jones with us teenage coach this is eye on education on afternoons with helen farmer with ranchers primary school a nurturing community school and nursery committed to holistic education in the heart of arabian ranches too we're talking teens this hour and in conversation with who better teenage coach Lucy Jones. We've had so many messages, some of you celebrating what you love about having teenagers and quite a few despairing, frustrated messages, Lucy. And I'm going to kind of summarize a few in this one message, which was how to deal with them when they don't want to talk to you or be around you. Anonymous message on 4001. Can we talk about communication strategies and also follow up messages going, how can you get them out of the room? <laughs> That's a good one. I get that one a lot. Um, uh, I'm not sure about how to get them out of the room. It is a difficult one. But you have to acknowledge 
uh, that these teenagers are constantly growing and therefore they are super tired. So if you're really struggling to get them out of the bed in the morning, maybe you really need to look at the evening routine. Are they staying up on their phones, on their devices till like 12 o'clock? Stupid o'clock. You yeah. know, stupid o'clock. Then yes, you need to stand your, stand your ground. I mean. There's a teenager here and uh, uh, he lives in my house <laughs> and there is a rule. He has to leave his charger and his phone outside of his room and that's where it gets charged and he's not allowed to have it in the room after nine o'clock. I also think it's important to acknowledge that teenagers simply need more sleep. You know, exactly. physiologically they need yeah. more sleep and we are... I hope starting to see a bit of a shift when it comes to school starting times and you know understanding just how important sleep is for social connections for studying yeah. for you know for yeah. all of that. So back to this message about what if they don't want to talk to you? What if they ignore you as a parent? What are some words, phrases, techniques, strategies that can really empower parents to I don't know actually have a conversation. Okay. Um so this this all depends this don't want to talk to you, don't want to spend time with you, usually happens about 14, 15 years old. Uh, all depends, you know, how was your relationship developing before that. So I would say if you're in the early stages of tweens, be mindful and keep building the right bridges and connections with your daughters and son so you don't lose uh, you don't you don't lose that connection. Because it would be very easy presumably to be like give up. Yeah, you've got to keep reaching yeah. out. That's what that's what I keep see- seeing with the parents who who lost that connection, and they lost it long time ago. They just let them be. They just let them be on their social media, play their playstations. They didn't ask them when they were still twelve or thirteen. Like, you know, Saturday afternoon, it's a family day, and there is no going about it. Mm-hmm. We're going out, we're doing this, but of course it's also important to do something that both parties will enjoy. Such as what? This is a, this is an interesting thing. Oh, seriously, I I keep hearing this over and over. My par- my my teenagers don't want to spend time with me. They don't want to do anything. I as a teenage coach obviously have strategies and belief, but you can have a, such a lovely time with your teenagers. You know, you can go to the you can go and watch a game of tennis you know and educate them on you know we are international experts here so pick a player from your country come and watch the tennis together you know talk about previous players many countries have lots of famous players just silly things like that like anything you can think of now we've got skating championship coming up it's going to be in dubai marina they got beautiful setup how wonderful afternoon that would be to sit together for a couple of hours you know drink some icy cold drinks and just have be together yeah I think it is such a choice though isn't it to turn yes, towards exactly. a bit like in a romantic relationship yeah. you know you can feel discouraged and rejected and you end up turning away from each other and if it is a choice to keep keep on turning towards them and keep on trying rather than and I say this I, I have not got teenagers I am really picking your brains in preventative measures I guess instead of having siloed separate yes. relationships yes look uh, I did notice that um, you know you are doing uh, alphabet Alphabet dating. Alphabet dating. Okay. With your, with For your anyone husband. that's not following me on Instagram, I'm doing <laughs> alphabet dating with my husband, which is instead of us watching, you know, traitors all night or, you know, going out to the you know, dinner, we're trying to do an activity through the alphabet. Exactly. So, you know, B, we went to the baseball, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So... Could this be good one for teenagers? Exactly. You oh, can and y- you can plan that together as a family, you know? Let's do alphabet dating, spending time together. Find afternoon over the weekend. Okay, let them be teenagers on Friday night and spend time with their peers and their groups. But then say, look, Friday afternoon, we're doing this. We you come can back choose. Together. 
and let's let's spend time. And give them some agency to choose some things as well. Exactly. Take turns. Uh, Lisa Jones with us today. We've had a few messages about dealing with mood swings. So we're going to talk about how to talk to our teens about their mental health. And I, we're going to have... Uh, going to have a teenager on the line uh going to be talking about the best and worst things about being a teenager in 2024 this is eye on education on afternoons with helen farmer with ranchers primary school a nurturing community school and nursery committed to holistic education in the heart of arabian ranches too we're talking teens this hour and Manal sent a message going, I love the teen years. Yes, there were challenges and it can be scary as we give them more independence, but I love seeing the people they've turned into. I love their fresh, uncluttered ideas. I love that the world is their oyster. My teens are caring, kind, emotionally intelligent, and I find it sad that so many people are down on the youth of today. We've got teenage coach Lucy Jones and her son Jamie, who's going to be joining us in a minute, here in our studio at the, at the, uh, at the tennis. And I wanted to ask you, and I'm, we've had an awful lot of messages, Lucy, that I'm kind of going to summarise which is how to talk to your teen about their mental health. And that, could, that is obviously in general, but also when you chuck a whole load of hormones in there, what kind of information, what kind of conversations can be useful at this stage? Okay, so it is important to encourage it nowadays because, again, back in the day, there wasn't so much issues with uh, mental health. Even, you know, ADHD nowadays, it's so common. And when you look 20 years ago, there wasn't so many children with ADHD. Do you know why? Do you know why? No. Because they used to eat healthy food fresh from the farms. Big and they component. used to spend lots of times outside, in the sun, in the rain, whatever. Okay. And uh, yeah, so it is difficult because our teenagers spend lots of time online, on social media, being locked in their bedrooms. They don't want to go out. Some of them, not all of them, but those difficult ones, right? Mm-hmm. They are shutting themselves off the, from the world and, you know, they're looking at un- unrealistic images online that, you know, it's, it's not even real. Mm-hmm. So um, if you start seeing uh, things creeping in on your daughters or sons, it's, it's best to start early. Um, you know, ask questions like, how do you feel today? I notice you are being a bit sad. Is that something you want to talk about? Just give open questions so they can sort of reply back. If they don't feel like it, give it a few days and just keep trying. keep checking in. Keep trying, keep checking in. I'm not a massive fan of Gary Vee, but I did see a clip of him the other day talking about how to protect your children from social media and daughters in particular. Mm -hmm. And he said, build their Mm self-esteem. That is really all you can do in terms of educating around, as you mentioned, filters, unrealistic expectations, you know, and really starting that conversation, but build their self-esteem. And this in real life and online is going to be hugely impactful. You've brought your very own teenager with you. (laughs) Hi, Jamie. Hi. How old are you? 13. Okay. We've only got a minute left, but I wanted to hear it from you. What do you love about being a teenager in 2024? Freedom. (laughs) Freedom. Has he got freedom, Mum? I don't know. I think I'm going to have to look at that. (laughs) (laughs) And what about the most challenging part for you? Trying to get away with mischievous stuff. (laughs) What mischievous stuff? Oh, this is live on radio, full domestic. (laughs) Do you feel like it's um, it's a happy time in your life? Do you think you're going to look back? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Good. I'm really glad. I loved being loved being a teenager. Couldn't pay me to go back. To be completely honest. And I just wanted to put one last question to you, Lucy, which is. How does it work with you? If people want to reach out as a, as a resource, but also for coaching for them as a parent, or indeed get that, have someone that their teen can talk to that's not a teacher, that's not a parent, there's someone that's going to guide them through some pretty choppy water sometimes. 
what's the best way of reaching Absolutely. out? Absolutely. So I believe everybody's on social platforms. The best way is to go on Instagram, Teenage Coach. Simple as that. Teenage Coach. If you want that, you can send me the word teen to 4001. Interesting message here saying re-social media addiction. Um, connection is the antidote. Just talking there about booking in some time with your teens and really nurturing that relationship before things can get a little bit difficult. That was Eye on Education. I'm Helen Farmer and you can catch us live on Dubai Eye 103.8 every single Thursday afternoon.